The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Israel-Hamas war has injected uncertainty into the world economy and is testing foreign relations across the globe. The United Arab Emirates was the first Gulf country to normalize relations with Israel in 2020, and its president the first Arab leader to speak with Israel's prime minister following the attack by Hamas. The two countries have an innovation partnership and through the broader I2U2 block with the U.S. and India, recently announced a space venture. That relationship, at least as of now, is not likely to change. The space sector for us is not part of um, a geopolitical movement. So most of our partnerships today in space and also in science and technology need to remain ongoing regardless of any political situation. So. We're not holding back on anything. The current partnerships that we have in place are continuing down the line and creating new opportunities for collaboration and coordination needs to continue down the line. Her Excellency Sarah Al-Amiri is the UAE's Minister for Public Education and Advanced Technology. In 2020, at the age of 35, she was appointed chairwoman of the country's space agency, or the equivalent of NASA administrator. UAESA is one of the youngest space agencies in the world less than a decade old. But it's making up for lost time, spending over $6 billion as it strikes partnerships, engages commercial space companies, and invests in its own homegrown pool of talent. The agency has so far sent two Emirati astronauts to space and, spearheaded by Al-Amiri, became the first Arab country to, with a hope probe, enter Mars orbit on the first try. On this episode, we dive into the agency's rapid growth, deep space ambitions, and navigation of geopolitical tensions. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Let's start at the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about the UAE's space agency and specifically some of the work that you are doing. So the UAE Space Agency has been established quite recently in 2014, but comes after an investment by the country in the space sector, both in commercial um, spacecrafts that have to do with communications and then moving into spacecraft design and development. Uh, the sector then saw the need for an overarching uh, direction in terms of uh, our, our strategy for development, support for the private sector, and a robust regulatory framework that allows for growth of the sector both locally with global uh, incidents. And the, we've been working quite extensively within the space agencies to continue diversifying opportunities for our overarching space sector, both in exploration, in communications, in um, spacecraft development and operations, and continue to support the development of the overarching sector. Um, and uh, that feeds directly into di the diversification of our economy here in the Emirates. 
So I want to get into all of that a little bit more. Um, but I think the first place to start is um, how does this diversify the economy? What, what does that vision look like? So we've got an overarching um, vision for diversifying the economy. I'll, I'll speak to the element that has to do with advanced technology, which is the portfolio that I sit in at the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology and where space and the space agency also plays a, a, a role in. Uh, today, if you're looking at the advent of our existing industrial players in our economy to increase their size and also to increase uh, collaboration, also increase the uh, remit of reach. So to be able to move into exporting and increase the size of the market that our industrial players are currently working on. We have an extensive technology enablement program for existing production uh, processes that works on investments in technologies to uplift our current industrial players. We have trade agreements globally that, that are increasing the reach of our products and services coming out of manufacturing and also out of industry. And we've also worked quite extensively in creating an end-to-end -end robust ecosystem that has technology embedded at it. We also have the element of sustainability built into, into the program for technology readiness and technology adoption. So that's the first aspect of uh, diversifying the economy and that's increasing the size of our existing industrial players. Then we've moved on into new sectors. So what new sectors of the economy can the UAE invest in uh, to be able to establish those industries? So healthcare has been one. We've increased quite extensively both our investments abroad and also investments locally. And we see biotech and also various elements of the healthcare ecosystem and pharmaceuticals growing within the country. Space is actually another one of them. And we've taken quite an active effort over the course of the last few years and that has been tasked with the UAE Space Agency to start expanding that remit. So we're moving from a space sector that was predominantly funded by the government, um, works on exploration, works on exploratory um, science and technology capabilities and works on capability and capacity development and advanced uh, robotics design and development that goes into most of our spacecraft mission. And today we are undergoing the development and, and sort of transfer of a lot of that capabilities and capacity from the public domain onto the private sector domain through funding opportunities for the private sector, through a mechanism to even build capacity in individuals and support them in starting up their businesses. So we're not even starting at startup phase, we're starting at pre-startup -pre phase, even pre-seed phase to be able to build the necessary capabilities and capacity and move forward uh, with the extension into establishing a very robust space industry within the country with not local demand, but fitting into the global value chain. And we're very conscious to ensure that we're not reinventing the wheel, that we are part of a global ecosystem and we add on to the overarching space sector because that's where opportunity exists. So when you talk about funding the private sector, it's it's Emirati businesses and entrepreneurs specifically, or because I know you also partner with commercial companies from other countries as well. Yes, it's actually a mix of, of many different programs that goes into this. So I can speak within the remit of, of our, our next exploration mission to the asteroid belt and how we're designing different programs within it to build that cap capability and capacity and partnerships. So we continue our partnership with a U.S.-based institution, uh, the University of Colorado Boulder. The reason for that is we continue our know-how transfer and capability uh, development program and that's where our up-and-coming engineers and more experienced engineers continue to build on their capability and capacity. Then comes in the more experienced individuals that today have an interest in establishing their businesses and those are Emirati individuals and non-Emirati individuals but based out of the Emirates. 
And what we do is we further upskill their capabilities and capacity and start fitting them into the program to deliver on either services, so engineering services, or products and services that are part of the materials that goes into the spacecraft build. And we we've launched the Space Mains business program that actually takes them through those opportunities. Then comes the phase of the companies that are already in existence. So they've been operating in the space sector or feeding tangentially into the space sector, both locally and globally, but require a bit of upskilling or require redirection to be able to feed into that level of production or tangential industries, especially when it comes to manufacturing and production of, uh, of various parts that can go into the space sector. And again, we work on capability and capacity. So we actually fund a lot of the risk and offtake a lot of the risk and be able to provide them with an opportunity to build heritage by flying hardware or being part of, in terms of engineering services, the development of our upcoming mission. And that enables us not only to look at uh, the local market and local capabilities, but look at extensive partnerships. Another program that we've looked at is, is furthering on our international partnerships and furthering on engagement with the private sector globally, especially with large corporations, because you to build an overarching end-to-end -end ecosystem, you need to plug into the global supply chain. And the only way to do that is to ensure the partnership is ingrained very early on in your development process. So one of the programs that have been launched on the back of our space fund is the CERB constellation of, uh, of uh, synthetic aperture radar satellites. Now, the model that we're taking this is working with a local uh, company in the UAE, partnering up with a global corporation to build that symbiotic relationship through the funding of this program and, and creating the, the equal opportunity of design and development that feeds into each other's logistical supply chain, but also leans in on each of the two entities, both international and locals capabilities and capacity. Um, and that's just sort of quite simplistically how we're, we're, we're running the end-to-end -end and being able to meet the objectives of development of capabilities locally, fostering international relations, and also building up in, in terms of the pipeline of demand creation for the space sector within the region. How do you decide the type of projects you're going to work on and what those partnerships are going to look like with each of those projects? So we look at it from a program to program perspective. We have a, a space science and technology roadmap. It fits in on our overarching research and development uh, program within the country and also fits in with our commercialization and, techno and advanced technology development programs, uh, again, that is at the national level. So we've identified the technologies and we've identified which parts of the subset of subsectors within the space industry is there, there is sort of room for entry. So the burden of entry and, and the, the risk of entry is, is quite uh, low, relatively speaking. So based on that, we start designing programs. So the, our exploration program was designed to build in capabilities that we currently don't have in, in, in the country. Um, our, Earth observation, so the spacecraft that I spoke about, the CERB constellation of spacecraft was designed in uh, in terms of demand for products and services that come out of it. We also have an entire vertical that actually focuses on uh, increasing demand for space products and services. There's a lot of data that's that's currently available uh, on Earth, but, but utilization, for example, in climate change applications, in agriculture applications and marine coast monitoring applications is not as extensively used. So we also fund the downstream enablement program and support for acquiring data and, and, and analytics capabilities to be able to get value out of space uh, data. So it's not only hardware based, but we also look at the analytics capabilities within the country. 
And then underlying all of that is how do you, we always try to address the question of through all of these programs, how do we decrease the cost of starting a business here? And how do we decrease the natural overhead um, that exists within the space sector today? And one mechanism to do that is to create infrastructure as a service. So we're looking today at a program, at, at designing a program with a few partners for providing, for example, ground station and ground segment and operations as a service. Um, and then same thing with regards to your clean room facilities where you would design and develop. So that's those are also areas that we look at. So it's not only the programs themselves, it's the enabling ecosystem and infrastructure that needs to be very well understood uh, and, and very well understood into where, where the investments should go and how you should be able to facilitate uh, the growth of the private sector here. You're moving very quickly. Uh, how, how quickly has the program grown? And I guess how quickly, based on how you're measuring it, has this space economy within um, within the country, within the region grown? So it has been quite a rapid, uh, a rapid growth. So I, I've started working in my career in 2009 within the space sector. Our design and development capabilities were only three years underway during that time. Um, our commercial space was there at that time, again, from the early 2000s. So not, not a very long time. You're talking about a bit over two decades of investments uh, in, in, this space in the space sector. Uh, so it has been a, large, a fast and rapid growth for, for the space sector and the space industry here in the Emirates. But it comes naturally because we started our space sector and a space investment at a time where uh, cost uh, of access to space was rapidly decreasing. New opportunities, again, for access to space was rapidly opening up. And then the cost of spacecrafts and the design and development mechanisms, again, were uh, have, have gotten to a point where the risk um, has been lowered significantly since the, since the 90s and with the advent uh, and advancements in technologies. So we benefited from great failures in the past within the space sector and new opportunities of growth that has been driven by the global space community to be able to enable the rapid growth that we've gone through. In terms of just costing and values, we've seen just year on year, almost 76.8% of total expenditure on R&D in the space sector. Uh, we've seen an increase in scientific publications, roughly an 80% increase between 2020 and 2021. Uh, we've also seen a growth in the expenditure of commercial uh, space sector of well over 40%. Uh, um, and that that shows a very healthy uh, space sector. We have 80 ent entities today operating in the UAE space sector. We are working quite actively with individuals and, and, and companies that are willing to enter into the space sector and again, fostering partnerships. So there's great investment that's going into this. We've started our own fund as a space agency that's well over $800 million over the course of the next 10 years. Um, and the country has invested over the course of the last 10 years $9.8 billion into the sector. And this investment will continue down the line with regards to the programs that we currently have in the pipeline, in development, and also in the planning as well. Do you think this would have been possible before? I mean, I have these conversations so often, this idea of the democratization of space because of what um, commercial capabilities and now the cost to get to space and that falling, what that has enabled. And I wonder if you think that this template would have been able to be applied, you would be able to do this if it were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or a different time period where we didn't have so much commercial activity. No, if we had started, I think 
So if I take the starting point around 2006, if we had started five years prior to that, I don't think we will be where we are today. Uh, the timing of starting this, the rapid expansion that we saw in the uh, from 20 around 2010 uh, over the course of that decade uh, and the state of the space sector then allowed us to be where we are today. Uh, any earlier, I don't believe that we would have had the right growth trajectory and the right focus areas in terms of development, nor the right partnerships in place. This democratization of space, widening up the entry uh, into the sector and disruption. There was a lot of technological disruption that happened uh, over the course of the last decade and a half, uh, where new people entering into the space sector brought in a completely different mindset of design and development and took it away from the typical heavy bespoke design and development um, uh, approach to a more lean engineering approach that doesn't take a lot of historical uh, baggage in the way to be able to develop that. And it's because of that sweet spot that the UAE came into that we're able to be where we are today. And now I understand that this creates jobs, it diversifies and grows the economy, um, but the innovations or the tech technology um, that you expect to glean from this process, whether it's on the human space exploration side or whether it's communications satellites or whether it's asteroid belts or even the partnership with um, the iSpace partnership with Japan, which didn't work, but I realize you're already setting, setting ahead on another lunar lander possibility. What do you expect all of this is going to bring back, I guess, to the economy in addition to the creation of jobs? So return on investment is what we're looking at and hence why we're ensuring that um, any financing of these programs down the line start going into the private sector locally and fostering partnerships globally um, in terms of returns. So it is return, direct returns on investment on the economy. So we went, your typical exploration missions have an amazing ripple effect. So any human space flight program, any scientific exploration program always have has great implications when it comes to, um, for example, for us, our risk appetite increased significantly. And that's quite remarkable, considering the advancements that we need to have in technology in, in other sectors. And we've seen advancements over the course of the last just two years in the UAE entering into artificial intelligence, into driving uh, the agenda there, and also driving capabilities uh, down that 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 down that realm. So that has been a, an extensive ripple effect that the space programs usually create in terms of mindset and appetite for risk. Then once we go into our current programs, it's more about growth of the space sector itself and and growth of the space industry itself and having direct uh, impact on the economy and not only indirect impact on the economy. What we're estimating is over the course of the next two years to have this industry to be about uh, one to two billion dollars into our economy and then start growing from there. But laying down the foundational work is quite important to be able to build a very robust ecosystem that doesn't need to rely only on public funding, but can also rely on investments and uh, and demand creation globally to be able to increase its uh, footprint in the global sphere. Now we see as space becomes um gets built out and becomes a, a bigger part of the economy back on Earth. And we are also seeing it as critical infrastructure and as contested domain. And you see that in the U.S., for example, with the standing up of the Space Force and this idea that it becomes a warfighting domain. How is the UAE approaching that, especially as we do see geopolitical tensions flare here on Earth? 
So through diplomacy, we believe strongly that space should not be in the rapport of any politician, uh, nor should it be something that is brought into uh, any form of geopolitics. The reason for that is the area of space that we all need to use and rely on for our daily lives, and that's uh, where new communication spacecrafts exist today, where our Earth observation uh, and data-driven uh, sort of uh, spacecrafts existed always, and that's low Earth orbit, is congested. It will continue to get congested. And if we are not able to coordinate and speak each other to each other appropriately and utilize the right channels of diplomacy, we will lose a valuable resource around Earth that is finite and not infinite. We always think of space as infinite, but the area of space around Earth that we require our spacecrafts to be in is, is, fine, is indeed finite. Uh, the other aspect that, that comes to it is we do believe strongly in the importance of dialogue. Uh, and we've launched a platform to be able to continue engaging uh, last year through the Apple W space debate that looked at all these different areas of contention and all these sort of areas that we're not really publicly speaking about. And that's this is an annual event that we'll hold every other year. So our next next uh, event will be held next year in, in 2024. And what we've brought together is the Space Force, the defense sector, the commercial space sector, the, the, the uh, civilian um, space entities, so space agencies from around the world, scientists, uh, and also foreign ministers, ministers of foreign affairs from countries around the world. The reason for that is if we're not discussing this all together, if we don't understand how the shared resource is going to be used and how it needs to continue to be used for peaceful uses, uh, we are not. We 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 will enter into conflictions only. We believe that this is an area that should not be conflicted, and it's an area that should be shared for the betterment of humanity, and not for the propagation of geopolitical uh, situations happening here on Earth today. We do see this war between Israel and Hamas right now. You do have international partnerships, including I two U two, that involves Israel. Is there any risk that that some of these um, relationships change or evolve given everything that is happening on Earth? So it's the same. Like I said, science and technology, the space sector for us is not part of um, a geopolitical movement. So most of our partnerships today in space and also in science and technology need to remain ongoing regardless of any political situation. So we're not holding back on anything. The current partnerships that we have in place are continuing down the line. And creating new opportunities for collaboration and coordination needs to continue down the line. Science is just a beautiful language. So is space of bringing nations together from so many different backgrounds. It has taken that role for decades past. Um, unfortunately, some countries and some nations around the world today are politicizing that. We're not going to jump on that band bandwagon of politicizing science, politicizing technology, politicizing uh, space. We would rather... Uh, take a step back and ensure that that remains a common language for humanity and continues partnerships on that realm. I do want to talk a little bit about your background, because as you mentioned, it is one of the youngest space agencies in the world. Um, and you've you've risen through the ranks very quickly and, and very successfully as well. And, and I'd just love to hear a little bit about how you got here. Um, I started working in the space sector completely by accident. So it was at the beginning of what is today known as the Mohammed Rashid Space Center, which is a local uh, research center that is set up to develop 
uh, capabilities within engineers at the time that I started. And I started working on our device sat one, device sat two program as a computer engineer. Um, and I slowly went through the ranks, started working in around 2013, moved from our Earth observation program to our newly created space exploration program around the same time as the space agency being created. Um, and starting to work sort of on the elements of what then became our Emirates mission to Mars or Emirates Mars mission, the HOPE uh, probe, uh, and then continued on. I was appointed in 2017 in parallel to completing my work in the space sector under the Emirates Mars mission as a Minister of State for Advanced Sciences to expand the portfolio of science and technology within the country and also start infusing research and development policies uh, and uh, prioritization and eventually also funding for research and development all the way to commercialization uh, in that field and start chairing the space agency in uh, July of uh, 2020. Is there a certain project you are most excited about? There's quite a few programs that I'm quite <laughs> excited about. Um, I think all of us here at the space agency and at the space sector also in the UAE with various entities are quite passionate about what we do. Uh, my mis the mission to the asteroid belt is, I think, the most exciting, the MBR Explorer. Uh, it's a highly complex mission. Uh, it pushes the boundaries even further than, than the Emirates uh, Mars mission, which is a, natural, a good natural progression of even increasing complexity on this uh, spacecraft. Uh, utilizing our past knowledge of uh, of exploring Mars. Uh, but the interesting element is the enablement. So um, it shows sort of a closed loop in terms of uh, purpose and objectives, where we started off our exploration program to develop science and technology capabilities. And today with our next, next mission, we're bringing this sort of full circle to actually transfer that capabilities onto the private sector and be able to advance capabilities there. And that ensures that capabilities doesn't remain within the remit of a single entity, but becomes the remit, moves on to the scope of the overarching ecosystem. And that for me creates a very healthy environment for growth and continued support uh, for a sector. So I think that summarizes what I'm really excited about. The second is our continued advancement in science and technology and our uh, a strong belief on the importance of research and development as a key driver for growth for our country. Uh, and that's an area that I enjoy working on thoroughly with uh, my colleagues, both across government and, all, uh, and also within the commercial industry here in the country. Final question for you. What do you think, and not just uh, in the Emirates, but across the world, across the globe, what do you think the space economy looks like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now? So 10 years from now, I believe we would have globally unlocked the potential of commercial use of low Earth orbit. And that's the, that's uh, uh, both spacecrafts and also human space flights to low Earth orbit from a commercial perspective. Uh, exploration will continue on, I think, to the moon um, and beyond as the overarching global program. Uh, I'm optimistic about global collaboration. So diplomacy having a key role in um, in, in addressing the issues of space debris and addressing the issues of any form of deconfliction in, in space uh, in, in that realm. Uh, 20 years from now, I think, requires a lot of changes. Just the, the, the pace of growth that we're seeing at the space sector and the various elements that are coming into play makes it, I think, difficult, at least for myself, to predict in 20 years where the space sector would be. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. 
Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.